Now, I meant to mention in our Bible class this morning that some of you may already be aware of, but others not. Of course, you know Ken and Clyde Ann Willis. And I uh, had noticed a post on Facebook from Ken thanking folks for their concern and prayers for Clyde Ann, but she has suffered unexplained and still undiagnosed seizures uh, recently, and they have not been able to determine what has caused those seizures. So I know that they would certainly appreciate uh, your prayers from brothers and sisters here. So please remember Ken and Clyde Ann. Of course, Ken preaches at Ridgedale, as most uh, of you know, if not all. So please uh, keep them in your prayers. Good to see everyone this morning in good spirits and an excellent atmosphere as it would always should be, shouldn't it? And uh, we uh, just uh, appreciate so much the, the welcoming spirit with which uh, you greet our visitors. In fact, just last uh, week we had, uh, I believe it was last week, we had two young families uh, passing through visiting and uh, one of those families, the Cresons, I believe, had uh, written a note on their card saying, very friendly congregation. And so we appreciate uh, their recognition of that and appreciate uh, your being the kind of folks you are to garner that kind of compliment, uh, indeed. So it is good to be together, as always, and good to have our visitors. If we have visitors today, you are truly our honored guest. We hope that you will come back, as Brother Steve mentioned, be with us tonight and at every opportunity that you may have. Good to see John John with us today, too. And Amy and him, good to have all that family uh, with us today. Well, not all that family. John is not with us, but uh, the others. Good to see them as well. Have you ever been in a situation where you had to approach someone and you really dreaded doing it? Um, Maybe an employee approaching an employer uh, about a pay raise, and you wanted to do it, but you really dreaded it. And the reason you dreaded it was because of the nature of the individual whom you were going to be approaching. In other words, you just feared the kind of reaction that you might receive. Well, maybe it was a student approaching a teacher about something, and maybe that teacher had a pretty strong reputation as being kind of gruff and grumpy. Have you ever been in one of those situations where, as you anticipated a request you were going to have to make, you really dreaded it, but you dreaded it because of the individual you would be approaching? You know, that should never be true of Christians, should it? We should never be in a situation where if we were going to approach a brother or sister in Christ about something, that we would ever stop and have second thoughts about how that person might react. Certainly we have an obligation to approach the individual in, in the right way, obviously, but we should as Christians do that, and we should anticipate from the one to whom the request is being made a Christian response. That's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at Paul's plea to Philemon. This one chapter epistle, 25 verses long, contains in it so much of inestimable value in terms of the kind of, kind of character 
that we should always manifest in terms of being someone who is easily approached, who is easily entreated. And that's what we find here. And it's a beautiful and wonderful and very positive study to engage in to see how the Apostle Paul approached Philemon. And then to see, or to anticipate at least, the kind of response we could expect from Philemon based upon how Paul approaches him and how he describes him. And the Apostle Paul, who wrote this epistle, one of few written to individuals rather than churches, he appeals to Philemon concerning a man named Onesimus, a former servant of Philemon's, who had left the service of of Philemon. We don't know all the circumstances, but indications are it was not necessarily a positive, uh, it was not a positive departure, and that, and that perhaps uh, something was left uh, undone that needed to be done by Onesimus before he left, and incidentally, before he became a Christian, Onesimus that is. So Onesimus comes to Rome has occasion to encounter the Apostle Paul, who at this time is a prisoner in Rome. And the Apostle Paul never let anything stop him from converting precious souls, even being in prison. And so he was able to teach and to convert Onesimus, whom he calls in this letter to Philemon his son, his son in the gospel, one whom he had converted. And now... He is allowing Onesimus to leave him, though he certainly could have used uh, his encouragement while he was still a prisoner in Rome. He, he, he is allowing him to go back. And there's no indication that Onesimus, now that he's a Christian, doesn't want to go back and set the record straight, make things right, whatever needed to be made right, with his former employer, as it were, or master, Philemon. And so that's the setting or the context in which the letter is written. And so he's sending this letter by the very hand of Onesimus himself, along with Tychicus. And he is, in effect, asking Onesimus to put it in the hands of his former master in the hope that his master will respond the way Paul anticipates he will respond, based upon the way Paul himself appeals to him. How does he make that appeal? That's the thing from which we can learn so much about our interaction with one another and with all men for that matter. He approaches it with tact and tenderness. It is a delicate, a delicate not a demanding approach. Oh yes, Paul could have commanded it and he so states in the epistle, I could have commanded this But I chose not to do that because I know the kind of person you are, Philemon. And knowing the kind of person you are, it's not necessary for me to command it. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful attitude that we see in the Apostle Paul? Tact and tenderness. A delicate, not a demanding approach. 
as he issues this entreaty, this urgent plea to Philemon. And as we said, he used that tact and tenderness in this letter. And it also, the demanding, or rather the delicate versus the demanding approach, also relies on something else. It relies upon the reasonableness of the one being approached. And that's the kind of person we must always determine that we're going to be. One who will approach a brother or sister in Christ with the right spirit, and one who can be approached by a brother or sister, or anyone for that matter, and manifest that right spirit. So look with me at Paul's plea to Philemon, and notice the reasons why Paul had confidence that Philemon could be approached in this way, and that it was unnecessary for Paul to command him to do anything regarding his former servant, Onesimus. The first thing we see is Philemon's family. There's something to be said about Philemon and his character based upon what Paul says briefly in his introduction in this letter about his family. Paul, verse 1, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved friend and fellow laborer. And then he adds, verse 2, to the beloved Aphia, Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house. It's generally agreed that Aphia here is Philemon's wife. It is also generally agreed that Archippus is their son. And later on, over in Colossians chapter 4 and verse 17, if you look at that statement there, Paul, in concluding the Colossian letter, says, And say to Archippus, Take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. The ministry that you have received in the Lord, that you may fulfill it. And so what does that tell us? The indication is that Archippus, the son of Philemon and Apphia, was also involved in working in the kingdom. That he was a gospel preacher, it seems. And so that says something about the family of Philemon. The kind of family man he was, the kind of spiritual leader that he was in his household. And Paul knew that he was that kind of spiritual leader. So that, to some extent, would make Paul more confident, would it not, about approaching Philemon with tact and tenderness, with a delicate rather than a demanding approach. He was a good family man. But then in verse 5, we see Philemon's feeling, as it were. His feeling. After saying grace to you, verse 3, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4, I thank my God, making mention of you always in my prayers. And then here it is. Hearing of your love. There's your feeling. There's Philemon's feeling. There's that emotion. There's that motivation that Philemon had for all that he did in the kingdom, and Paul knew of that feeling, knew of that motivation, and how that motivation had manifested itself in the good deeds that Philemon was noted for doing among his brothers and sisters. 
his fellow Christians, the saints there. Hearing of your love and faith, we'll get to faith in a moment, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. Toward all the saints. Your love for God, your love for Christ, your love for your brothers and sisters. Yes, faith is important. We'll show that in just a moment as we look more at Paul at Philemon's faith. But what motivates faith? What is it that motivates everything in the Christian existence? Paul understood it to be love. He wrote elsewhere in Galatians 5 and verse 6 as he wrote to correct and try to save the Galatian brethren from apostasy under Judaizing teachers trying to get them to go back under the law of Moses, he said, in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything. But here's what does avail. Faith, which works by what? Love. Faith that works through love. Paul knew Philemon to be an individual whose love motivated him to do all that he did. It was love that motivated his relationship to his family. It was love that motivated his faith, a faith that could be clearly seen and was demonstrated daily by his deeds. And that's the next thing at which we look. Same verse, verse 5. Hearing of your love and faith, which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. But how does faith show itself? By works. That's verse 6. He then goes on to say that the sharing of your faith may become effective by the acknowledgement of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. You're sharing your faith. You're demonstrating your faith. You are showing your faith. And we certainly know that throughout the New Testament it is made abundantly clear that the faith that saves is the faith that is shared. It is the faith that is shown. It is the faith that motivates us to do. Remember what James challenged his readers to do. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Paul knew Philemon to be one who was noted for showing his faith by his works. Every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus, the fruit of your faith is the good that you are known for doing, the good that you are doing. And how did that affect an imprisoned apostle? It thrilled his soul. Verse 7, listen to it. For we have great joy and consolation in your love. The love that motivated his what? His faith, the faith that showed itself by what? Action. We are joyful and we are consoled, he says, by that love that manifests itself through an obedient faith, obviously, because, he says, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you. You know that word refreshed? That word refreshed which is used over in verse 20 again when he says, refresh my heart in the Lord, is the idea of putting at rest, being at rest. Your heart, biblical heart, the mind being at rest. What a great privilege we have 
as Christians. A challenge, but a wonderful positive challenge, to put at rest the hearts of our brothers and sisters. To do everything we do by our lives, by our deeds, by our words, to put each other at rest. And you know, that's how we should feel when we come together. And the atmosphere that I spoke of that was evident here this morning is the very kind of thing that one expects to see among brothers and sisters in Christ who are seeking to put each other's hearts at rest. In other words, to refresh them. To refresh them by reminding them that we're there for them. That you're there for me, I'm there for you. That kind of wonderful relationship not only needs to be maintained, it needs to be intensified the longer we live the Christian life. And to be the kind of people to whom Paul, if he were alive and still writing today, could write to, as he did to Philemon, and say the very things about you or me that he's saying about Philemon, and express the same kind of confidence in all of us that he's expressing here to Philemon. Is it possible for us to be worthy of that kind of response? Of course it is. Not only possible, but it should be expected of all of us to be the kind of approachable people that Philemon proves himself to be here, or at least Paul thinks so as he writes to him. But there's one word at the end of verse 7. There's one word at the end of verse 7 that brings us to our next point about Philemon. The word is brother. Brother. Notice, we have great joy and consolation in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. Brother. That's not a word that we need to just simply throw around casually without understanding and appreciating what that word suggests, what that word means. You are my brother. If you are in Christ and I am in Christ, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And Paul did not use that term lightly. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed by you, brother. <laughs> he used it with some meaning, some emphasis. And it suggests Philemon's fellowship and the appreciation that Paul had for that fellowship in Christ with Philemon and with all of his brothers and sisters in Christ. That's why he could become so joyful and pleased about what he heard that Philemon was doing for his brothers and sisters there at Colossae. Paul, Paul was actually thrilled to know that Philemon was helping, not him directly, but helping others. And by helping others, you're helping me, he said. I feel good about what you're doing. You're not doing it for me personally, but you're doing it for those whom I love deeply. You are doing it for my brothers. You are doing it for my sisters in Christ, and that brings to me great joy. And it should bring to our hearts great joy when we understand or hear about brothers wherever they are doing things, helping, encouraging, refreshing the hearts of brothers and sisters wherever they may be. And when we learn of that, then our hearts should rejoice. 
whether it directly benefits us or not. Why? Because we understand the poignancy and the power of the word brother and the fellowship that it connotes and the joy and peace that flows from that fellowship that we have. We are in fellowship with one another and with God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit because as we have said before, that fellowship is so sweet and precious because as John reminds us in 1 John chapter 1, in all ten of those verses really, that fellowship that is so precious extends heavenly to the Father above and the heavenly and also to those still here on earth that are brothers and sisters in Christ. And oh, what joy the knowledge of that fellowship should bring. And it did to Paul. Now in verse 8 he says, Therefore, though I might be very bold in Christ to command you what is fitting, he reminds him, I could command you, but I don't want to do that. And I don't think I need to do that. That's the confidence again that Paul is exhibiting toward Philemon. I don't want to command you. Listen to it. Here's what I want to do. For love's sake, verse 9, I appeal to you. Love for whom? I believe he would have in mind his love for God, Philemon's love for God. I appeal to you on the basis of your love for God. But possibly Paul himself was included. I appeal to you on the basis of your love for me because there's an indication elsewhere in this letter that Paul was responsible for converting Philemon to Christ, teaching him the gospel of Christ. Well, if you can think of someone who led you to Christ right now, do you have any love for that person? Well, I should hope so. I should hope so. Relationships like that don't take precedence over our relationship to God because sometimes even those who may have led us to Christ themselves ultimately may depart from Christ. And so we don't give allegiance merely to men, but we nonetheless are always grateful to whoever it may have been who led us to Christ, who influenced us, the individual or individuals who did so. Do we have any love for them? Oh, yes. So I think when he says for love's sake, obviously love for God would be involved, but I think perhaps even love for the one who taught him the gospel. Being such a one as Paul the Aged. Paul the Aged. It's believed Paul would have been in his 60s at this time. Being in my late 60s, I'd like to think he might have been in his 80s when he wrote this. <laughs> Since he calls himself Paul the Aged. But quite likely he was in his 60s. And he was Paul the Aged. And now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Notice how he puts that, as he often did. I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. I'm a prisoner of the Romans. <laughs> I'm in a Roman prison, but I'm a prisoner because of my love for Jesus Christ. And then he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. The name means helper, by the way whom I have begotten while in my chains, who once was unprofitable to you, but now is profitable to you and to me. I am sending him back. You therefore receive him. That is my own heart. As you receive my own heart, receive him. That's how close he is to me. That's how much I love him. And then he says, whom I wish to keep with me, that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel, but without your consent I wanted to do nothing. 
that your good deed might not be by compulsion, as it were, but voluntary. In other words, I have confidence you'll do the right thing for the right reason. And I could have commanded you to take him back, or I could have kept him here, actually. But I didn't want to do that without your consent. And then he brings providence, potentially, into the picture in verse 15. Listen to it. For perhaps he departed for a while for this purpose, that you might receive him forever. He left you as a pagan. He's coming back to you as a brother. Who knows but what the providence of God has been at work here during this time. Which reminds us of the reality of providence, doesn't it? And then he takes us back to the idea of fellowship again in verse 17 when he says, If then you count me as a partner, receive him as you would me. That partner reminds us again of the fellowship because fellowship is a partnership. It's a joint participation. A joint participation in spiritual things as we denoted earlier. Then he says, but if he has wronged you or owes anything, put that on my account. I, Paul, am writing with my own hand. I will repay, and then he says something interesting, not to mention to you that you owe me even your own self besides. Not to mention, but I'm mentioning it briefly. <laughs> I'm not going to dwell on it, but I am going to. I could, in other words, I could say a lot more about what you owe me. And there's the verse that indicates that Paul converted Philemon and that he owed him his very spiritual condition because of what he had taught him. And then he says, verse 20, yes, brother, and there's that tender term again, Yes, brother, let me have joy from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the Lord. In other words, refresh my heart, Philemon, as you have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Refresh my heart by doing the right thing. And then he says, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. And then we come to the next point in our lesson. Verse 22, regarding Philemon's future. He says, But meanwhile also prepare a guest room for me, for I trust that through your prayers I shall be granted to you. In other words, when I'm released from prison and I'm confident I will be, I'm coming to see you. Well, as Philemon thought about that reunion with the Apostle Paul, what if he had reacted negatively to Paul's request and refused to listen and refused to accept Onesimus? What kind of reunion would Paul and Philemon have had if he did come to see him as he indicated he would do? Wouldn't have been necessarily a very happy reunion, would it? But he reminds Philemon that there's a future reunion that I'm planning to have with you, and I sure would like for that to be a good one. And doesn't that remind us of the future reunion that all of us on one of these days are going to have? Hopefully a happy reunion with the saints who've gone on before us. If we'll conduct ourselves as we should in this life. And then we see Philemon's favor as Paul ends the letter. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Grace is favor. And Paul could, in good confidence, end this letter as he began it, grace to you and peace from God, back at verse 3. He could end it, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, amen, because I have confidence in you and the kind of person you are. And if I didn't, I couldn't have approached you as I 
have. But I have confidence you'll do the right thing. And what about that? What about Philemon's finish? We don't know. <laughs> we don't have any record of how all this finished. But we have a pretty good indication based upon Paul's statement here when he said, Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Shouldn't we all conduct ourselves so as to have an apostle or anyone else for that matter who was entreating us on behalf of someone else or on any matter to say, I have confidence. I know you're the kind of person who's going to do even more than I say. Paul's plea to Philemon, delicate, not demanding, tact and tenderness because of his family, his feeling, his faith, his fellowship, the future reunion that could be anticipated with Paul, indicative of the fact, which is indicated that he was his father in the faith, as we noted, and the favor, the grace that Paul could wish for him based upon the knowledge that he had of the kind of life that he was living. Grace is extended to those who have the kind of faith motivated by love that Philemon had. The grace of God has appeared to all, but it came teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live as Philemon did soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. Have you rendered obedience to the will of God through Jesus Christ as Philemon did, as Onesimus did as he came into contact with the Apostle Paul? Believing with all your heart that Jesus is the Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing him to be the Christ, and being buried with him in baptism for the remission of sins. If not, we plead with you to do that now. And if you need to come home to your first love and love again, as we've seen the love depicted in this epistle, and let that love motivate you to serve as you once served. If you need to repent of sin that's been committed in a way to bring reproach upon the body of Christ, and to disrupt the precious fellowship about which we've spoken this morning. Come home. Let us pray with you and for you to the God of heaven who will welcome you home. As we stand to sing, will you come?